Pretend you're 11 years old. You've been going through a horror movie all year, and you realize your diary is dangerous, so you have to get rid of it. How many disposal methods do you consider before landing on flushing it down a toilet? Thanks for listening to Belated Binge, the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. And it's a good thing, because what the hell? Who tries to flush a book? I'm Zach, and on this episode, I covered Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. And it's a big one. Harry got pulled into a diary pensive and learns Haggard was expelled for releasing a beast killing a student we later learn was Moaning Myrtle 50 years ago. I also theorize that if Harry had kept that diary, the Muggleborns and Hogwarts would have been safe. You see, Tom had another plan for Harry. So... What could that be? Hermione remained in the hospital wing for several weeks. There was a flurry of rumor about her disappearance when the rest of the school arrived back from their Christmas holidays. Because, of course, everyone thought she had been attacked. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where despite being the same age as movie Harry and a decent Polyjuice version, I didn't read this series through until my mid-twenties. That's the belated part. Now we're going back a chapter or two at a time, picking it apart, deep diving what's on the page, speculating about what isn't, particularly Dumbledore's role and his master plan. What did he know? when did he know it, and the motivations guiding the story. And of course, infusing as much sarcasm as humanly possible. That's the binge part. Together they make the belated binge, and today we continue our reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. But first, this podcast will have spoilers. This series wrapped up in 2007. If you haven't read them by now, you're even later than I was. This podcast will also have some adult language. You can buy them in the kids' section at the bookstore, but I didn't read them, so I was a grown-ass man. Free elf shout-out, Alex Swetland. And I want to take a minute to let you know how you can get shout-outs just like Alex. Alex has been a patron for a little while now, and has received a shout-out on the website and in every episode since. Also has received early access to the episodes, completely ad-free. Also access to the scripts and the show prep notes from me planning said episodes. Also, bonus episodes. These have included some past theory episodes that are on Patreon, extra discussions with some of the guests that I've had on the show, as well as some new ones that I've been doing that are kind of cool. They're unscripted, they're unedited, Uh, I'm calling it behind the mic, these topic explorations that I'm just Grabbing a recorder during my everyday life and talking Harry Potter, I could be out walking Producer Jack, maybe taking a drive, um, whatever I might be doing. If I've got the ability, I am recording bonus content for patrons like Alex. There are multiple Patreon tiers with exclusive benefits designed for any budget, ranging from $1 to $20 a month. Be awesome. Be like Alex. Become a patron at patreon.com slash belatedbinge. Now, in case you're obliviated or got your Hogwarts letter late, let's shove our faces in that white liquidy substance of our pensive. 
In chapter 12, Polyjuice Potion, I was joined by Taylor from Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories. And it was a big chapter for not only this book, but the entire series. Harry has his moment, I guess you could call it, with the sorting hat reinforcing that he could have been in Slytherin because the hat has never read Harry Potter. We're also introduced to Fox the Phoenix, who's critical later on in this book. We had a very interesting discussion about the scene with Hagrid and Dumbledore in Dumbledore's office, and then Harry and Ron turn into Crab and Goyle to learn that Draco is not the heir of Slytherin. Also, Hermione has a tail and is in the hospital wing. Before we can move on to this week's chapter, we need to close the book on the last chapter and recap our Expecto Plot Changeo. This is the part of the show where we theorize on what we would expect to change in our story if we made one small tweak to the plot of the chapter that we're covering. In the last chapter, I asked, what if Hermione got the right hair and went along to interrogate Malfoy? From Jamie on Twitter, (laughs) pretty simple, they may have actually came away with something. Jamie, you might be onto something. (laughs) From my perspective... As I mentioned last episode, I want to believe that that would be the case. I want to believe that Hermione had a plan. And that her not being able to go with Harry and Ron to question Malfoy was the reason that they were so clueless. But as I mentioned then, we see this same thing play out in Deathly Hallows. When the trio use Polyjuice to break into the Ministry of Magic, they put all of their planning, all of their energy, all of their efforts, all of their brain power into getting into the ministry. No plan for what to do next. None whatsoever. And in this book, they put their whole plan into successfully brewing and drinking the Polyjuice Potion. Seemingly, no thought to what to do next. But Giving Hermione some credit, she may have had a better idea of how to find Draco at the very least and not had to rely on sheer dumb luck. But then, I think the conversation with Draco is just as awkward. For starters, we have no idea if Draco even liked Millicent Bolstrode. At least with Crab and Goyle, they're his best friends. He might not say anything if Millicent's there and on top of that in Half-Blood Prince we see Hermione undercover and she sucks at it (laughs) first when she tries to pretend to be Draco's friend in Borgen and Burks and she's just completely painfully awkward and snuffed out immediately and then later she's not all that passable as Bellatrix either but then again Who would be? So I guess what I'm saying, all all in all, is I think the only real change is that she doesn't end up half-cat and have to go to the hospital wing. This plan was destined to be a clunky shit show with or without her. And that wraps up our chat from last chapter. So, this week's Expecto Plot Change question from chapter 13 of Chamber of Secrets is, what if Harry doesn't find Tom Riddle's diary. 
How could that have changed the events in the immediate? What about the future? Let me know your thoughts to be included in the next episode of the podcast. I will have a video on Instagram Reels as well as TikTok. Uh, You may be able to see it on Facebook Reels, but let's be honest, not much gets visible there. (laughs) I will also pose the question on Twitter. I'm at Belated Binge across all of those, or if you're listening right here and you would like to respond on the website, belatedbinge.com, you can use the cool little voicemail icon, and that is my uh, preferred method of response if you care being able to use the audio for the next episode is kind of the coolest thing about my website. (laughs) Uh, There's also a contact form if you would prefer to do it that way. Uh, And now we will dive into the chapter that we came here for with. Priority. Incan chapter. We've reached the point where our wands connect. Not the tips, just the streams. So we can recap what went down in the chapter we just read. This week, Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary, starts with a bit of a time jump and a little bit of a recap. Hermione is in the hospital wing, and the kids are back at Hogwarts from the Christmas holiday break. In the midst of keeping Hermione in the loop on classes, the trio has absolutely no idea who the heir of Slytherin is now because they'd put all their eggs in the Draco basket. As I mentioned before, um... Maybe they shouldn't have been so hyper-focused on one potential suspect, and now they're wrong. So they're back to square one, and it's been months, so not great. It's almost like I've read this book before. I'm guessing you were thinking the same thing. Aren't we just smart? We might have outsmarted a children's book after already knowing what happens. And then we find out... Lockhart sent Hermione a get well card, and he's just as cringy when he writes as when he talks. Here's a quote. To Miss Granger, wishing you a speedy recovery from your concerned teacher, Professor Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of the Dark Force Defense League, and five-time winner of Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award. Blech. And Hermione still has her crush and sleeps with this card. So that's cool. And then we get to Harry and Ron going into Moaning Myrtle's flooded bathroom because we had to get out of the hospital wing. Myrtle's in hysterics in the bathroom because apparently someone threw a book at her. While she was located in the plumbing. So what we're really supposed to take away from this is someone flushed a book down the toilet. And I have questions. How big was this book? The text says little, apparently little enough to fit into Harry's pocket, but I'm guessing robes have at least bigger pockets than your average pair of wranglers do, but still, why would this have been the chosen method of attempted disposal? It it can't be little enough to actually fit down a toilet, can it? Is there an undetectable extension charm on the plumbing? But if it reaches Myrtle in the U-bend, you know, in the pipes, then it did make it down the toilet. So then, why is the whole bathroom flooding? And why is it flooding so bad that it's reaching the corridor outside of it? That just seems a bit of 
excessive to me. And this will come up later in the show. But the whole point of this is to get the diary to Harry. But when Ron warns him against picking it up, and this is very interesting to me, he warns Harry it could be dangerous and mentions some cursed books that his dad has told him about. Books that burn your eyes out, make you speak in limericks, one that you literally couldn't stop reading. And it's obvious at this point that Arthur has taught his children about picking up random books and being wary if they come across, you know, a strange book somewhere that they don't recognize, maybe don't go picking it up. And Ron's right. (laughs) This book is bad news. It's super dangerous. It's literally the bad guy in this book. Is that meta? A book in a book? I still don't know how to use meta right. But it's interesting how this lesson doesn't seem to have stuck for all the Weasley siblings. We know one in particular didn't get the memo. Or at least maybe ignored that email because Ginny has been pouring her soul into this book and later it nearly drains the life out of her to restore Tom Riddle. That is way worse than speaking in Limerick. Most of the time, when I think of Ron is a seer, that theory that's gone around the internet a little bit, it's usually sparked by him saying some random shit, uh, oftentimes completely joking, and then it actually happening. And this doesn't usually pick up in the series until in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, when he and Harry are just making up predictions for Trelawney's divination class. But he's completely nailed it a couple times in this book, particularly this chapter even. A few that stand out in my head just thinking about it is earlier in the book when he pegged Lockhart for a fraud immediately, and he knows that this book is no joke and not something we should be messing with, And he also pegs T.M. Riddle, jokingly, as the person who killed Myrtle. But not before he recognizes the name T.M. Riddle for the Special Services Award trophy he had to clean up multiple times during detention when he was still burping up slugs. And the pages of this book are blank. Something smells fishy about it, and it's not the backed-up plumbing. Hermione thinks maybe this book has secret powers, and she's damn right. Uh, But the math everyone's doing right now, at least Harry and Hermione are doing, they actually took math class. Ron, we're really not sure. Plenty of people have wondered how wizards learn basic skills like reading, writing, basic math... My headcanon is a mixture of homeschooling, and then some others might go to a little small daycare-style school. In those, like, common wizarding villages, uh, like Godric's Hollow. Those types of places. In my mind, it's got a little daycare school full of little wizards learning basic skills, just like any other kid would. They don't have wands yet, you know? And it also probably helps them... Just keep tabs on the little wizard kids to see, mm, any magic showing yet? I'm not sure that this headcanon of mine holds up to strong criticism whatsoever, but it fits well enough for me, at least. 
at this point. So uh, back to the math. The diary is 50 years old, and that's when the Chamber of Secrets was last opened. And that's when Riddle got the award that Ron mentioned. And all that's what's got Harry and Hermione's wheels completely turning. However, as usual, they're on track, but a little bit off. The working theory is Riddle caught the heir of Slytherin, and they think the diary would have details about who it was and where it was. And that whoever's behind it now wouldn't want anybody to find it. So they tried to flush it down the toilet. Mostly right, except for the part where Riddle was the heir and got the award by framing Hadrigan. But we're not there yet. Hermione shows more of her early knack for having all kinds of cool shit and knowing really cool spells when she tries to get the diary to show something written and Ron remains completely convinced that it's just an empty book. And then it gets a little weird. Harry keeps going back to this book. Even describes TM Riddle as a long forgotten childhood friend. Which is definitely going to come up later. But for now, let's try to focus a little bit more on the part where he can't shake this weird feeling, this familiarity, an interest in who Riddle is and what's hidden in the diary somehow because he's convinced that there's something there. And this to me is a combination of two things. One, this is the diary doing its thing. This is what lured Ginny into it. This is who Tom Riddle was when he made this Horcrux as a teenager. He was charming. There's some kind of magic pull here, and it's trying to use this pull on Harry to try to reel him in. Otherwise, how else does it ensure that its mark actually writes in it? And how else would they trust it when it starts writing back? There's got to be some semblance of trusting there for this thing to work. And I think that this is part of it. It's some kind of weird magic that's just making Harry feel akin or a connection to this book and just really want to get in there. And then two, the Horcrux inside of Harry. I think number one is even stronger for him because this Horcrux is literally inches away from another bit of Voldemort's soul. And the two are talking to each other. And it's bonkers. But it leads to Harry needing to figure out more about Riddle. So they head to the trophy room and find Riddle's award tucked away in a corner. Question. Why is this still there? My first thought was, oh, Dumbledore stuffed it in a corner to kind of hide it. But why didn't he just throw it away? He's one of the few people on the face of the planet that know that Tom Riddle actually became Voldemort. And he's headmaster. He could literally just chuck it in the trash. But doesn't. And this is where we also learn that Tom Riddle was super smart and talented, and his Medal of Magical Merit is another award that's tucked away in there, and that he was head boy at Hogwarts. And this is about time that we also learn that the attacks have stopped. 
Some people around the school are starting to think that maybe it's over. Others, like Ernie McMillan, still think that it's Harry and that he's laying low somehow. Of course, we know that this is because Harry has the diary, not Ginny. So the chamber was safely shut for the time being. And what's crazy to think about is that I think it was going to stay that way. And that's actually going to be the topic for today's Lumo segment, because I've got a theory of what memory Tom Riddle was actually planning. But back to the book. The one person that's convinced that the threat is completely over is Lockhart who's going around guaranteeing everybody's safety, and he decides to throw a little Valentine's Day shindig, and there's cards from Tiny Flying Dwarf, Cupids apparently, and they're supposedly going to be delivering these Valentines to the students. And that's just going to brighten the mood for everyone around the school. One thing it does brighten is Ginny's cheeks to match her hair when her musical Valentine gets to Harry in the hallway. Harry's embarrassed. I'm sure her heart is crushed by this. By this reaction, this embarrassment that he has, probably in part because of how Harry tried to, I don't know, completely escape (laughs) and ended up receiving said song laying on the floor. But real quick, I just, I feel like I gotta come to the defense of our guy Harry here. I don't think he was going to have this reaction if he didn't have the audience. Say this little stupid Cupid dwarf thing found him alone in a corridor. He might have been a little embarrassed, but I don't think he tries to run away and make a big scene out of it. Harry just hates getting attention, particularly attention he wasn't seeking. He doesn't want anybody's eyes on him Unless he just caught a snitch. Speaking of sneaking. Sneaking? Seeking. What did I say? Sneaking? That's not it. That's not it at all. Seeking. You know, seeking, seeker. I can't. I can't do this. Okay. The rest of the time, he just wants to blend in. He wants to be normal. He doesn't want to be the boy who lived with a giant scar in his forehead as like a center of attention bullseye. And then there's the Malfoy scene. Malfoy picks up the diary, gives Ginny a whole new reason to freak out, and Harry expelliarmus the shit out of Draco and gets the book back and flees the scene. Of course, Ginny is absolutely mortified. This is the worst way that this moment could have gone down. She was there to watch Harry get her song, Valentine's, and... Hope that maybe he liked it. Instead, she got this. And the text wants us to believe that it's Draco taunting her that has her just absolutely distraught. He's taunting her because Harry didn't like her Valentine much. But it's because she knows that Harry has the diary. The diary she tried to get rid of. And she's terrified. Later that night, Harry figures out that ink absorbs 
into the pages of the diary. I guess, thanks, Draco. Uh, so, he tries something. He writes in it. And shit gets weirder. He starts having a written conversation with Tom Riddle. And the manipulation and temptation begins. Memory Tom is just as full of himself as you would expect and lures Harry in to writing more. He writes as if he's the hero that saved the day back when the chamber was open before and he was sworn to cover it up. Corruption, I tell you. He even says that the monster and the culprit were still around and not in Azkaban. And then he offers to show Harry what happened the night he caught the person. And Harry's sucked into the diary pensive, and we get a scene after Myrtle was killed with the old headmaster Dippet, where Tom Riddle is told he's not only not going to be able to stay at Hogwarts with a you know special circumstances over the summer, but also learns that Hogwarts might be closing for good. This is also where we learn that Tom Riddle grew up in a muggle orphanage, that he's half-blood, and that his mother had died. Then, Tom runs into Dumbledore, who does not ask him the same question that he asked Harry earlier in this book. That was movieism. Instead, he just tells him to go to bed. But instead of going to bed, Tom goes on a stakeout. And before long, we hear a young but familiar voice. Rubius Hagrid. That's our moment of silence for Robbie Coltrane. Riddle corners Hagrid and accuses him and whatever fantastic beast he has of killing Myrtle. But he doesn't call her by name. He simply says, the dead girl. And I think this is written in this exact way for two reasons. I think one, Tom Riddle killed Myrtle for being Muggleborn. She's beneath him. He has no remorse for her and probably wouldn't address her by name if she was alive right in front of his face unless he absolutely had to. You know, if there was an audience. She's scum to him and he's a sociopathic serial killer. She's nothing more than a means to make his second horcrux and a filthy little mudblood. Two, we aren't supposed to know it's Myrtle yet. That would spoil the reveal later in the book. So by having Dippet call her the poor little girl, Dumbledore trailing off in you know, sadness and remorse, and Riddle's disdain, we still don't know who the girl was that was killed 50 years ago. And then Riddle tries this curse of some kind on whatever this pet that Hagrid has, because it's not explicitly said <laughs> what it is. It's kind of cleverly written to only have descriptive characteristics, but nothing on the page actually says giant spider. Uh, that's another reveal to come later in the books. And that's, that's it. That's when the memory ends and Harry's back in his bed. 
And from that, we're supposed to pretty much understand that from there, Tom Riddle held Hagrid wherever he was and blew the whistle claiming that Hagrid had a beast in the castle and that beast was responsible for killing Myrtle, which we know is all crap. But now we know why Hagrid was expelled. Crazy. And the chapter ends with Harry telling Ron that it was Hagrid who opened the chamber 50 years ago. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcasts on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Explainiarmus. It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike, I'm no Harry Potter. No half giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, hey, you're rich. Having a podcast takes a lot and it's not easy. So your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell every one of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also, many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself. Whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media, maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well. There are currently six tiers available 
designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shoutouts, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that'll unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. Lumos. Lumos. Let's pull out our wands and light the tips, but we're not blowing smoke, we're here to illuminate Memory Tom Riddle. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think that the Muggleborn attacks were going to stop once Harry had Tom Riddle's diary in his possession. So follow me here. Later in the Chamber of Secrets, Tom Riddle tells Harry that killing mudbloods doesn't matter to him anymore. And for however long, he had set his sights on Harry. See, if Harry had kept the diary, Memory Tom wouldn't have used Harry to open the chamber the same way that he did Ginny. He would have had a different plan. One that would have allowed him to accomplish two things. One, he wanted to learn how Harry defeated the older version of himself in the first place. And two, he wanted to make sure the current memory version of himself succeeded in killing Harry. So now, my friends, it's theory time. I think that Memory Tom Riddle's plan was to do to Harry what nearly happened to Ginny, but slightly differently. He wanted to first gain Harry's trust to get him to share how he survived as a baby and when Voldemort Prime or Oldie Voldy or the Noseless Wonder, whatever you want to call the grown version of Tom Riddle, had failed to kill Harry when it was just a little infant. Notice I said failed because Memory Tom knows that Voldemort had at least two Horcruxes at this point because he was one of them, and he already made the ring at that point in time. So he knew his older version wouldn't have died, but he would have hoped that Harry could help him understand whatever the mistake was and why he failed. Maybe even learn why he was trying to kill Harry in the first place, because 16-year-old Tom Riddle doesn't know anything about a prophecy. And then, once Memory Tom got the information he was seeking, he would have wanted to lure Harry into the chamber, the same way he did Ginny, to suck Harry's soul into himself. I think that he would have left a very similar message on the wall, but been a bit more deliberate in saying, Harry Potter's bones will lie in the chamber forever. He would have absolutely killed Harry, and returned himself to a living state in one checker move. King me! 
Notice I did say checkers because I don't think this is quite chess. We can only have one chess master in these books. Um, but alas, let me know what you think of that idea. But in playing it out, his focus would have had to have been on releasing the monster. Or would it? I don't think so. Do you really think that... Let's play, Let's just back it up a second. Let's say that Tom Riddle is... Memory Tom is successful in getting the information that he wants out of Harry, getting Harry to the Chamber of Secrets, and getting the soul swap magic happening and killing Harry Potter. Harry Potter is dead on the floor. Memory Tom is fully alive and human again. Do you think the first order of business is then release the Basilisk and kill Muggleborn students in Hogwarts? Maybe... Maybe not. I don't think so. I think that Justin and Nearly Headless Nick may have actually been the last victims of the Basilisk. I'm inclined to think that Tom would have wanted to keep himself quiet. Similar to when the old Voldemort came back in Goblet of Fire, the intention was to slither in under the radar. Yes, those are spell puns and house puns all in the same place on this podcast, full of puns. I think that young Voldemort would have wanted to get the heck out of Dumbledore's backyard quickly and quietly and probably go track down the wandering bit of soul of his older self. I don't know what the plan would have been from there. I know there are some theories out there about what that might have been, I have not taken this that far at this point in time. Uh, I just think that it's kind of crazy. And I'm wondering if you do too. So let me know what you think. Divination. It's time to highlight four moments in the chapter that foreshadow something to come in the future. Ron warning Harry about touching the diary, citing dangerous books that his dad told him about is a huge foreshadow making it our first one for this episode it's foreshadowing that very diary being the literal big bad for this book they have no idea that they're picking up the heir of slytherin's soul capable of human possession designed to bring tom riddle back to life in human form from a book and not to mention open the Chamber of Secrets and kill all Muggleborns and Hogwarts. Yeah, Ron, it's a dangerous book. You called it, bud. Sheesh. Two, he must have been a Muggleborn to have bought a diary from Vauxhall Road. Not quite a divination master like his boy Ron. Harry's got this one wrong, but what it does foreshadow is that Tom Riddle wasn't Muggle-born, but he was raised by Muggles in an orphanage. An orphanage that apparently took at least one shopping trip to a place called Vauxhall Road, a place Harry recognized. Another small parallel between Harry and Tom and orphan children. And a big, big piece of Tom Riddle's history, and ultimately his journey to becoming Voldemort. 
three. Could have been anything, said Ron. Maybe he got 30 owls or saved a teacher from the giant squid. Maybe he murdered Myrtle. That would have done everyone a favor. Another literal spot-on foreshadow from Ron in this chapter. It's really too bad the movies relegated him to comic relief, because in the books, he's kind of important. Four, and while Harry was sure he had never heard the name T.M. Riddle before, it still seemed to mean something to him, almost as though Riddle was a friend he'd had when he was very small and had half forgotten. Horcrux alert! This is a foreshadow to the bit of Voldy's soul living inside of Harry, and likely a small twinge of destiny, as there was a prophecy linking these two well before that. That connection is what sent Voldy to try and kill him as a baby in the first place, not to mention the ensuing years of childhood and similarities that played out, orphans, muggle upbringing, even looking a bit similar, and those are before the power of transfer, you know, like parcel tongue, and later the priori incantatum, there's a lot connecting these two, and it's kind of a big foreshadow. Now let's give away some house points. House points. In true Hogwarts fashion, these points are completely subjective with no oversight and at fully my discretion. This week, I'm giving house points to Harry. He's getting 10 for being kind of uh, getting the first opportunity to perfect his favorite spell and get the diary back from Draco and for figuring out how to use said diary. I'm also giving five points to Ron for all his accurate divination, despite not having a clue he was doing it. Now I'm going to take away some house points from Harry. He's losing five for actually using and believing the diary. It's super helpful, but it's not very smart to trust a magic book that's acting this strangely, even for a magic world. Probably should have listened to Ron, bud. Two, uh, Draco. He's losing five for being a bully. Myrtle is also losing five for being annoying. Lockhart losing five for being annoying as shit with his cupid dwarfs. So maybe I should make Lockhart six. Yeah, let's make Lockhart six because there's a difference between being annoying and being annoying as shit. So there you go. One point difference. Ernie McMillan losing five for being annoying as shit too, and still accusing Harry of being the heir. So let's make that five actually a seven. So we can just have compounding annoyances in this chapter. Uh, And then who else should lose some points? Oh yeah, let's take some points from memory Tom Riddle for framing Hagrid 50 years ago. I think that's worth 50, don't you? Yeah, we're going to make that 50. I will add these to the tally for the end of this season's Bingy Awards. And before we go, I have to acknowledge the moments in the chapter that were utterly ridiculous. It's not an episode of Belated Binge if we don't call out what didn't make any sense, starting with kind of the whole flushing of a book down the toilet and it actually getting down the pipes at all to hit Myrtle in what was described as a U-bend, and then we also get massive flooding. Like, the fact that someone would even try to flush a book down the toilet is kind of ridiculous, and then the ensuing 
physics of how it all worked and then a ghost and then bathroom flooding and it's not really clear why the flooding is happening what's going it's it's all very strange ultimately we just needed to keep moaning myrtle relevant to the story while getting the diary into harry's hands so i guess sure this is this is a way to do that i also find it pretty ridiculous that dumbledore kept tom riddle's awards and honors in the school at all i think he would have gotten rid of those just as quick as he got rid of the horcrux books with that we've reached the end of this episode of the binge as always shout out to producer jack who i work like a dog remember to follow and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're using right now and if it supports a rating and review option please leave one and if you're so inclined check out all the additional benefits available at patreon.com slash belated binge if you're reading along next episode i will cover chapter 14 of harry potter and the chamber of secrets cornelius budge until then i'll see you next time on the belated binge podcast what's up said ron looking at him with concern it was hagrid ron hagrid opened the chamber of secrets 50 years ago Thank you.